So now you know. <laughs> you got the full panorama here. And this is why we're going to talk about things that are urgent. And this week we're going to take a look at Second John, and next week we'll look at Third John. Now, in today's world that you and I live in, <clears throat> communication is pretty fast. It's pretty easy. Uh, it's so easy to communicate today that um, with our in our little world within seconds that within uh, well, within seconds we can let either hundreds or thousands of people uh, know exactly what we think or what we had for breakfast or post our cat pictures on Facebook or whatever. But it wasn't quite that easy in the first century when the New Testament was written, when these books were written. The process of communication back then was a whole lot different. Even sending a letter was really complicated. Uh, There was no post office that you could take it to, no UPS. Uh, There was no um, Gmail. Uh, So if you want to send a letter from one place to the other, you had to, first of all, find somebody who was traveling to where this letter was supposed to go. So imagine Paul writing this big letter to the Romans. He had to find somebody who was willing to go to Rome, and then he had to talk them into taking that letter, and then tell them how to find the recipients to that letter, and hope that this person would actually follow through and deliver that letter. And because of this, people tended to write really long letters. I mean, Romans, Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, all of those books, uh, much longer than the typical tweet or TikTok or Instagram or whatever you're going to use today. And if you're going to go to that much trouble to get a letter delivered, you took time in writing it, uh, and your letter would likely be the equivalent of multiple pages. And you see this all over in the New Testament, and I already mentioned Paul. But since the process of writing this letter, or sending a letter, was somewhat complicated, when someone went to the kind of trouble just to send a very short letter, you knew that that letter was really, really urgent. It was really important. You knew that it was not just about what you had for breakfast or what you want to post on Facebook or whatever. So this one-page letter should be considered very urgent. Now, I asked you ahead of time to read it. I hope some of you did. It's only 13 verses. Next week is a little bit longer. You have to read 26 verses. Uh, That's interesting that in the New Testament, there are four of these little letters that are just paragraphs or a page. Now, two of these are written by John, 2nd and 3rd John, and one by Paul. We're going to look at one that Paul wrote, and we're going to look at one that was written by a guy by the name of Jude. And each of these talk about very urgent things matters, uh, things which need to be dealt with right now, not yesterday, not tomorrow, but right now. These were urgent matters. So we're going to begin this series. And uh, these are things that we all need to take note of about ASAP. So here we get into into second John. Now, second John that it was already talked about was written by the same guy who wrote the gospel of John and written to the chosen lady. That's how it starts to the chosen lady and her children. Now, who were these people? Well, most scholars say he's writing to, as you saw the video, a bunch of little house churches. It's as if he said, I'm going to write this little note. I'm going to send it to the people at Restore. Because this is an urgent matter. And that's why I picked these four things, because I think these are all urgent things for us to consider. Particularly as we continue to, to plant ourselves and to grow and to reach out into this community. So what is the urgent message of this book? Well, very simply, 
it's all about love. We could just we could have sang this point, love, love, love. It's all about. We could sing all these love songs. I think Joel would have would have quit if we made him sing all those love songs. Now, here's the first point. Uh, love is the fundamental belief of the Christian faith. Now, we sometimes try to make it about other things, and we don't. And we do. We don't continue in the teaching of Jesus. Now, see, love is the fun, uh, fundamental belief of the Christian church. Jesus made this very clear when he was asked one time, so Jesus, what is the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus, being an Old Testament scholar, said, well, come on, guys. You all know what's written in the book of Deuteronomy, don't you? And I suppose a bunch of people went, uh, well, we have been reading that lately. But so Jesus goes on. And so in Matthew chapter 22, he quotes from Deuteronomy. He said, here it is. Here's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And then he goes on. He said, and this is the first and the greatest of all commandments. And then Jesus went on. He said, and the second commandment is pretty much like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we experienced a little bit of that Thursday when we loved our neighbors down at White River. It's important that we love each other. But it's important that we meet, leave this place and love other people as well. In other words, what John was saying here is, do you want a summary of the Christian life? I mean, what's Christianity all about? Well, it's simply love God, love others, love yourself. Now, I'm kind of a child of the 60s. And in the 19, late 1960s, I went to a National Lutheran Youth Gathering and learned a song that some of you may actually know. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. They will know. That, that song came out of the 60s and 70s. We sang that repeatedly in church. They'll know we are Christians by our love. Now, we did that because that's exactly what John said in his gospel when he said, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you agape, if you love one another. Now, if you've been toying with any equation of spirituality that doesn't begin and end with the doctrine of love, you probably missed the mark because Christianity is first and last all about that little four letter word, L-O-V-E, love. That's why John starts out here. If you've got Bibles, whatever, in verse five, he says, and now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new commandment, but one we've had from the very beginning. I ask that you Love one another. Now, I'm not going to ask you to walk around afterwards and and grab everybody's, I love you. I'm not going to do that. But we can experience love in a variety of different ways. So love is very fundamental for Christ followers. That's the first thing we see in John's letter. Here's the second thing. We see love and obedience go hand in hand. He says, and this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. Now, obedience is a, it's kind of a, an intimidating word because we often associate that with behaviors, things we aren't supposed to do. So walking in obedience sometimes for people means uh, doing this and not doing that. But that's a part of it, but that's not all of it. It's actually much bigger. Obedience is not just walking in a straight line. John says obedience is how you treat other people that you come into contact with. 
Now listen to John's words in verse 6. And he says, and this is love. He's going to define it for us. This is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. Well, what are his commands? You might want to ask that. Well, we've got ten commandments. We can talk about that. But his commands are littered throughout the entire scriptures. Obedience is not just walking in a straight line. He said it's how you treat everybody else as you walk through life. See, many Christ followers get this wrong. And I would suggest, I mean, I know I've gotten it wrong any number of times in my life. We tend to think that obedience or holiness is all about doing the do's and not doing the don'ts. We get kind of obsessed with grading ourselves. Well, I'm not good enough or I've fallen short here. It becomes all about me and what I'm doing and whether or not I'm making a passing grade or what the, and the rest of the world kind of gets up on the back burner because it's all about me, 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 instead of it's all about the Lord and how I live my life for him. So real obedience, we're going to talk obedience, goes even deeper than the do's and the don'ts of life into the selfless love of other people. See, if you're kind of walking that little thin line that, call, that you call holiness and you're doing it with a, an attitude of uh, condescension towards other people, you're not walking in love. If you can't look beyond yourself and a few people that you kind of like and actually look into the whole world and say, I can love these people. Somebody sent me a note the other day, had to do with stuff going on in the world, and says, doesn't this just make you angry? And I wrote back and I, I said, define anger, which is a sneaky way of responding. And he said, well, I, I just got to tell you, look at this stuff. I just hate these people. Don't you? And I wrote back, I said, No. I can't bring myself to say that. Do I dislike certain actions? Yes. But it's a struggle, isn't it, to take actions and separate it from the person? You got kids? Sometimes you say, I don't like what you're doing. You don't love me anymore? Of course I love you. That's what he's talking about here. See, love and obedience go hand in hand. It's never either or. It's always both and. Well, here's the third thing. Love up close is better than love at a distance. There's no doubt about that. John, in verse 12, if you got that far in this book, he said, I have much to write to you, but I don't want to use paper and ink. It said, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. That's why I told you before, I can't wait to get back to prison. Two years, three months away from guys that I genuinely love and have, you know, they're kind of like family to me. And I've been writing words of encouragement about every week to ten days to key leaders down that prison for two years and three months. I know they appreciate it. I'm happy to do it. But I'd almost trade all of that stuff for a couple of the brutalizing hugs I'm going to get. I normally come back and my hand hurts from shaking hands with these big, muscular inmates who spend most of the day pumping iron someplace in the prison. Um, But being up close is so much better. It is the personal nature of the Christian life. It's so, you know, to be face-to-face. How many of you have been on Zoom for something? Yeah, we have the Miller family Zoom every Thursday night. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) Uh, It's okay. 
you get to see people you don't normally get to see. But I can tell you what, this last week, even though it was at a funeral, it was so much better to see those people how face to face. You can hear somebody on Zoom say, I love you or I care for you. I think about you all the time. But it's a whole lot different when somebody comes up and wraps you in a hug and say, man, I, I just love you so much. Or isn't it great to be a part of this family? See, the road to discipleship, and we're all on this road to discipleship, is not traveled by the way of books or tapes or podcasts or television preachers, even the good ones. Uh, now, I'm not going to tell you that study is not a good thing. Study uh, involved in becoming a disciple, and we ought to listen to as many good sermons as we possibly can, read as many good books as we possibly can. But the most powerful moments in our lives as Christ followers, I want to suggest you take place face to face. Now, over the years, uh, I've had many incredible worship experiences in solitude, all by myself. When I first moved to town, before Hollister Coffee Company was open, I used to go down to Starbucks and I grabbed my coffee and I'd go park myself down by the lake. And I would sit there and I would pray and I had some marvelous times of worship. I'm not saying I sang songs, but they were worshipful times. But some of the greatest worship experiences I've ever had have been in the presence of other people. I remember a few years back, I was one of the speakers on the first night at the Million Man Crusade, Port Harcourt, Nigeria. Can you imagine sitting up on a platform getting ready to speak to maybe 300,000 people and wondering what is some white guy have to say to maybe a quarter of a million black people? But I tell you, the worship service that night was absolutely off the chain. I mean, to hear that many people singing praise and worship songs. That many people praying out loud. You know, when the pastor said, let us pray, I don't know whether he... He thought everybody's going to pray at the same time or not, but that's exactly what they did. That never happened in a Lutheran church or a Presbyterian church or a Catholic church. Can you imagine a priest getting up and saying, folks, let us pray. And then suddenly everybody starts praying at the same time. It happens that way down in prison, by the way. These are significant times when you can be face to face and worship. I mean, even learning experiences. Some of the best learning experiences I've ever had is just when I crack a book and spend, spend my day in it. I mean, you, you probably acknowledge it. I open this and I go back and I'm digging. It's really wonderful stuff. But those, there are also times when we need to be together to learn these things. And that's part of the reason we're going to try a little bit of talk back time today. See what, see what you think and what questions you might have. But, you know, th- today, thanks to technology, we can, commu- we can communicate with people all around the world. Because technology will never, but technology will never take the place of face-to-face physically meeting up. I know that in a matter of months, we're going to be live on Facebook and YouTube. That's fine. That's not your excuse to say, then I'm going to phone it in and do COVID church again. <laughs> That's not an excuse to do recliner church. It'd be really great if it just reaches a whole bunch of other people who for some reason live far apart. I know that there are people today who will listen to this message because it gets put on our website, because it gets put on my sermon site, that are listening in Spain, and they listen in France, and there are other people around this world. I can track these people. 
that's fine if they can look at it too and it helps draw them closer to the Lord. But it doesn't get rid of the fact that being face to face is really good. You and I were created for community, uh, for personal contact with one another. And, and God isn't looking for a bunch of individuals who love him and serve him and then all kind of run off in their little rabbit hole and do their own stuff. He wants individuals to love and serve him in loving and serving one another. Now, John said in his previous letter, in First John, he said, Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves and has been born of God and knows God, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. I hope you got that. He says, whoever does not love does not know God. If you're not a loving person, you don't know who he is, because God is love. That's why this letter is so urgent. His command is that you and I walk in love. See, in the first century, there are many people who tried to hijack Christianity. That's what he's talking about, too. Uh, there were a whole group of people that were called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers uh, were all about circumcision and Old Testament laws. You don't know more about that. Ask, ask Jeff sometime, all that kind of, that kind of stuff. Uh, they just said, you've got to practice all this Old Testament stuff. Well, the Apostle Paul had much to say about those people in his letters. Uh, but we're not saved by following Jewish law. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul said. There was also another group of people in that day that were called Gnostics, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S. And Gnostics believed that the spirit was good, but flesh was evil. Therefore, they said Jesus could not be both God and man. They said that Jesus was actually some sort of a spirit and only seemed to be human and that all of Scripture was really deep. It had hidden meanings that could only be understood below the surface by people who had, what, secret wisdom. There's a Greek word for that. Hogwash. <laughs> I mean, that is so bizarre. And John says, in effect, to the people, don't let these people hijack the faith. And I, I hate to say it, but I see enough nonsense online where people are literally trying to hijack the faith. They're trying to make it about something else. And he's saying, don't listen to these people. Don't give these people a platform to come in and try to disciple other people. They're not teaching the truth about Jesus. They've abandoned the gospel message. Friends, it's urgent that we love each other. Um, in fact, you, you probably, if we we're going to give you what's called sometimes the gospel in a nutshell, I think you all know it, John three sixteen. What does it say? For God so what? Loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but will have what? Everlasting life. Yeah. Okay, here's the, here's the fourth thing. The gospel, in a word, just simply is love. Now, there are people who will try to make it about politics. There are people who will try to make it about prosperity. They will preach literally the prosperity gospel. If you turn to Jesus, you'll be very rich. Uh, I think the, word, the Greek word hogwash comes in there, too, because it hasn't worked for me. And the cultural wars, they're going to attach the Bible to, to culture and try to make it fit in with stuff that they want us to believe. Some will distort the message to the point uh, that Jesus could fits their agenda. But friends, we need to distance ourselves from that kind of so-called Christianity. Very simply, if it ain't in the Bible, move it aside. 
And be careful how you let some people interpret what's actually in there. And so we just need to proclaim the original biblical gospel message, which is so very simple, that Jesus came into this world to save us from ourselves, to save us from our sins, and to give us a brand new life that's completely different in him. And then he's called us, once that happens, to go and not only live in love, but take the message of love to all kinds of people that need love. So in summary, what I would say is we need to love each other. Now, how do we put that into practice? We'd be here all day because I could probably think of a thousand different ways we can show love, not only to each other that's gathered here this morning, but to this community that God has chosen to put us in. God didn't put us here for no good reason. He didn't do this just to satisfy the whims of the grind guys. <laughs> he didn't do it just because oh, they got nothing else better to do these days. God knows there's something here. He knows that it needs a group of people that are willing to show the love to each other, but then walk out of this building and show it to a whole lot more people. Now, how does this all begin? Well, I think I'll put a prayer up here. Why don't we read this prayer together? God, help me love others as you have loved me, so that each person I meet today has a sense of your great love for them. Amen.